Hi, this is Don Sheree Wilkerson, and I pastor Vuk Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. I hope it encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. Let's check out the message. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 32 over really since the beginning of the year. We've been studying one book of the Bible. We've been studying the book of Mark, and I've loved it as we've taken a close look at the life of Jesus, what He did, and how it impacts our day-to-day. And as you're turning to Mark chapter 10, I just wanna tell you the thought that I'm bringing to you today. It's simply this, I need a change. I need a change. Wherever you are sitting today or watching, why don't you say that out loud? I need a change. Let's pray together. Lord, we know the only way that we can change is by the power of Your Spirit. So right now, change us. Change us as we study Your life. Change us as we open up our hearts. Change us, Lord, as we pursue You. By the power of Your Spirit, let us not be the same after day. We love You, we thank You. And everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, really my goal today as we dive into Mark chapter 10 is that we take some time to just spend a couple days with Jesus. What does a day in the life of Jesus look like? You know, in order to get to know someone, sometimes it's great just to follow someone around. Like you don't really catch the essence of who they are by just reading what they said. You need to be like in their presence. What is a day in the life of Jesus like? More is caught than taught. And so today we're gonna hang with Jesus. If you're there in Mark chapter 10, if you're not, it'll be on the screen, but hear me, uh, we're diving in. We have tapped the lines. We are listening in and peering closely at Jesus and the people that are the dearest to Him in Mark chapter 10. And let me tell you, these conversations are good. They are really good. It starts at verse 32. It says this, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. So he's ahead of the pack. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed him were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now this, this is a heavy conversation. I don't know if any of us have ever had as heavy of a conversation as Jesus is having with his best friends that we read in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is leading the way on the path to Jerusalem, and he knows that as he makes his way to Jerusalem that that's where he's gonna give his life. And while he doesn't share with the entire crowd, he pulls his closest friends, the 12 disciples, he pulls them to the side and he shares with them what's gonna happen. This is actually the third time that Jesus prophesies to them that he's gonna give his life for the world. But this third time that we just read, Jesus gets really specific. Like he starts to name things that he has not named before. He says, I'm gonna be mocked. I'm gonna be spit on. I am going to be flogged. I'm going to be beaten. I am going to die. Like I, I am going to be murdered. Can you imagine having a friend tell you that? 
This is a heavy conversation. He's not talking about somebody else. He's talking about himself. How do you respond in a conversation like that? What would your response be? Well, the Word of God doesn't tell us how we should respond. Instead, it shows us how we shouldn't. Because verse 35, James and John, two of Jesus' closest friends in the inner circle of his life, they react in a way that you would never dream, or maybe you could. Verse 35 says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Not really the response that you expect as you're pouring out your heart to those that you love and trust. This reminds me of like the play that you play with your parents, you know, when you wanna tell them something but you're afraid to get in trouble. So it's the question before the question. Mom and dad, I wanna tell you something, but before I do, I want you to promise me you're not gonna get upset. So they've got a question before a question because that second question they want to get across the line. And Jesus just simply responds to them saying, we want you to do whatever we ask by saying, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37 tells us that they reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Hard stop. What? I just told you I'm gonna give my life, that I'm gonna be tortured, that I'm gonna be beaten, I'm gonna be mocked, I'm gonna actually be murdered, and now you just wanna talk about what significant place you're gonna be in once I rise to glory? James and John pull them aside. They're having a private conversation and they're saying, Jesus, we wanna be on your right and your left in your glory. What does that even mean, your right and your left? Well, historically, Your right and your left were the chief places of honor. So what they are saying is, Jesus, as you're glorified, we wanna rise to prominence also. And if you're wondering if maybe my guess of their motivations is wrong, they end it with the statement, we want to be in your glory. How clear can you get? Can I tell you, friends, nobody gets to be in the glory of God. Nobody gets to stand in the glory of God. It's His glory and His glory alone. But James and John, these brothers have completely missed the point of this conversation. They're not looking at the price that Jesus is about to pay. Instead, they're looking at the position that they want to hold. They're looking ahead going, what's in this for me? Jesus is trying to prepare them for the trauma that they're going to experience. But they are so blind and focused on their self that their thinly masked ambition, well, it is fully exposed. (sighs) What does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't walk away. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't tell them, hey, I'm choosing two other guys to walk with me because you obviously don't care about me. Instead, Jesus does what he does time and time again throughout the book of Mark. He discerns the heart. He's always honest with us and he always will respond to you. And Jesus responds to them and simply says, you don't know what you are asking. In other words, he's saying, you have a superficial understanding. 
You actually have no clue what you're walking into. You think you know, but you do not have any understanding. Every prophecy that I've given you, you've misunderstood. But James and John, they think they know. Have you ever been in that situation where you think you know what's going on? They're like, no, Jesus, we actually do know what's going on. We've read about these prophecies since we were little boys. We're headed to Jerusalem. You're gonna establish your kingdom. You're gonna rise to glory. And we want you to take your boys with you. We've been with you since the beginning. Don't we deserve it? Shouldn't we be on the right and the left? And isn't it funny? They completely forget about the patriarchs. They completely forget about every other person that could actually deserve to be seated on the right and the left of Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they immediately respond, oh, we can. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when he talks about the cup and the baptism, in the Old Testament, the cup could mean blessing, but it also represented the wrath of God. So Jesus is, he's talking about the suffering that he is about to experience. And then when he's talking about the baptism, uh, he's talking about being baptized into the sin that was not a part of his nature. That he is actually, who knew no sin, is going to become sin as a ransom for many. But James and John, they already think they know. They're like, oh yeah, the cup of the Passover, we got it. Oh yeah, the baptism of John, we're in, we got this yes yes and Jesus is like you don't understand aren't you thankful that when you don't understand Jesus keeps talking to you (laughs) come on if you feel that today I'm so grateful that God does not give up on us he continues the conversation it's like you can feel the heart of Jesus saying James and John you've been with me for years now but your flesh is still lying to you you're still susceptible You're still broken. You're still focused on the things that don't really matter. And then all of a sudden this side convo busts out and everybody finds out about it. And we read in verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, the other 10 disciples, this is a Vu crew. These are men that had walked together for many years. They had shared, like Rich preached last week, some highs and some lows. But when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and with John. And you go, oh yeah, they should. They're doing their job as a Vu crew. They're getting them in line. They're telling them, guys, we don't live with that kind of motivation. You need to be empathizing with what Jesus is about. But friends, we've missed it again because they are not indignant that James and John have the wrong motives. They are indignant that James and John tried to call the spots of honor before they had the chance to. All 12 of the disciples' motives completely have missed the mark as they are all ticked off. Did you ever grow up? I grew up with six kids in my family. And did you ever grow up with that massive fight every time you went to the car for who got the front seat? We would fight every single time we went to the front seat. And what would you say? How would you reserve your spot? You'd say, I called it. No, I called it. No, that's, that's my spot. 
all the disciples are angry because James and John tried to call it before they got to. They're angry because somebody else is trying to one-up them. The insensitivity towards Jesus is staggering. Can you imagine for a minute being Jesus? If you've ever been in a place where you have shared your heart with those that you love and that their only response is to look out for themselves, you have a savior that empathizes with you. Jesus has no one to lean on. But he still doesn't walk away from them. Instead, he calls a family meeting. It says that he calls all 12 of them to to him. He gathers them around in verse 42, and we get to listen in on what he says. He says, you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Jesus is saying something very clear to every single one of them. He's not reprimanding reprimanding just James and John. He's speaking to all of the young men that he leads. And he's saying, listen, the people that you resent, the people who are leading, the, the, the people who are lording over the Gentiles, the ones that you look down on and think that they have the wrong motivations, that's you right now. You look a lot like them right now. And then he says this powerful statement that I absolutely love. He says, not so with you. It reminds me of when I would come home as a kid and I'd spend a few days at a friend's house and I'd picked up a few cultural norms that my parents didn't agree with. (laughs) And it's like, hey, you're back at our house now. And uh, I understand that they talk to their parents that way. Not so with you. I understand that they make fun of each other like that. Not so with you. I understand that they have an attitude and they get to pout and they get to have that special tone. But son, daughter, not so with you. And I just feel in my heart that some of you, that needs to be your statement this week as the world tries to dangle ambition in front of you, as the world tries to tell you that you need to climb the ladder of success, I feel like you need to speak to your spirit. Not so with you. Not so with you. We live a countercultural life. We are kingdom-minded. And Jesus is waking them up saying, my path is not like everyone else's path. You're not climbing a ladder. It's not a ladder. This is a cross that you will bear. This is not a stepping stone. This is a grave where you will die to your flesh. You're not trying to stand out above everybody else. You're trying to kneel down. We are servants of all. If you want to be great, you've got to learn how to serve. And when the world tries to tell you the lies of how you'll succeed, how you'll be great, how you'll make a name for yourself, how you'll be respected, how you'll make an imprint in history. You allow the words of Jesus Christ to reverberate in your soul, whether you're in the highs or the lows. Not so with you. 
there is another path and it is the pathway of the servant. Greatness is servanthood. And then Jesus gets to probably the key verse of this entire book. The book of Mark could be summed up in this scripture, verse 45. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, people get hung up on this word serve. They feel like it's demeaning. They feel like it's something that someone is forcing on them. But Jesus wasn't forced to do anything. Jesus says, I'm giving my life as a ransom to many. And calling yourself a servant leader as you follow Jesus Christ is not being forced into any path of servitude, but rather it is choosing willingly and joyfully to model the lifestyle of your Savior who willingly served who chose to give his life away while everyone else is trying to see what they can take. Servant leadership is what can I give? What can I give? What can I give? What can I give? What are you giving in this season, friends? Because your life of following Jesus, it's marked by a life that is committed to giving, not taking, to releasing, not holding on. What am I giving? Servant leadership, well, it is a place of authority. I think of my role as a parent. God has given me my children so that I can serve them. I am in a place of authority in their life and yet I serve them. I have more understanding than them and yet I serve them. I have more resources than them, and yet I serve them. And it is my joy to serve them. And no matter how greatly I serve them, the seeds of service that I sow into their life, it does not dictate the final place that they land in life. No, that is decided by them and them alone. But my decision and my commitment is no matter what, I will continue to serve. And friends, as followers of Jesus, we have this same commitment that yes, God's placed you in places of authority, but you're still to serve. Yes, God has given you wisdom to lead, but you're still to serve. Yes, God has empowered you with resources and with the foresight and the knowledge to take people to places that they've never been. But as you lead, understand that just like Jesus, you lead as you serve. I'm serving. Jesus makes it clear, this isn't just what I'm calling you to. This is who I am. I'm a man of action. You want to know where the action is? The action is found in serving. But then Jesus continues on the journey because his day isn't over. So let's dive right back in where we left off at verse 46, because there's even more to find as we study the life of Jesus. So Jesus is walking and verse 46 tells us, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, 
son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and they silenced him, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumps to his feet and he comes to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for him, for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, Jericho is 18 miles outside of Jerusalem. So you can imagine how the pressure and the tension is mounting. They're only 18 miles away from the city where Jesus is going to give his life. Jesus is on a mission. The Bible tells us the story we just read, he's leaving the city. He's on his way out. He has a flight to catch. He has a itinerary that he needs to stay on. He's leaving the city when all of a sudden he starts to hear these cries from a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road and he's a beggar and he's blind. Literally because of his ailment and his loss of sight, his life has been marginalized. His life has been sidelined. His life has been pushed to the side of the road that everyone else is so freely able to travel. And here Jesus is, and you may think, well, he's too busy. He's on a mission to get to Jerusalem. But the Bible tells us that Jesus isn't too busy. The crowd's too busy. We know that in the book of Mark, the thing that... uh, portrays the crowd best that the crowd is actually a way of blocking people from getting to Jesus. And they do exactly that here. The man is crying out for mercy and they rebuke him and silence him. But I love the determination of this man. I love that them rebuking him and telling them, telling him to be quiet only makes him shout louder, the Bible says. He begins to shout louder. In verse 49, it gets my heart because it says this. It says, Jesus stopped. Do you know that Jesus will stop in his tracks when you call on his name? Do you know that Jesus is not worn out by your prayers? That he is not tired of hearing you call on his name and pour your heart out to him? that no matter how many times you have reached out to him, you are not an interruption. A lot of times we say Jesus loves interruptions. Make no mistake, friend, your life is not an interruption to the God that created you. You in no way are an interruption to the plans and the purposes of God. In fact, you are an integral part of what he wants to do in and through the earth, through his love. You're not an interruption. Jesus stops, he stops and he responds. He says, call him. And and the crowd is so fickle, right? I mean, it wears me out because the crowd that was rebuking him and telling him to be quiet is now like chastising him. Like, get up, get up, be happy. Come on, they say, cheer up to him. Can you imagine? Like they say, cheer up, get there. 
And the Bible tells us that Bartimaeus, who has his cloak, which is probably what he gathered, what people would give him money as they passed by, he throws his cloak to the side, not even caring. He's so intent on getting to Jesus and he runs to Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. The particular translation of rabbi is Rabboni, and it's the only place that this translation is used except for when Mary Magdalene is talking to Jesus. And it is a place of high honor and authority. When he says rabbi, he's actually saying master, or he is saying Lord. You know what I love about Jesus? Is that Jesus doesn't just like call him and then without a word, put his hands on him, heal him, and I gotta go. Here we go, 18 miles. Instead, Jesus wants to have a conversation with you. Jesus doesn't just speak healing, but he allows this man in his pain and his loss to verbalize what he needs. Jesus gives the man back his dignity. He says, I didn't just come here to talk to you. I came to talk with you. I came to have a conversation. I wanna know what's on your heart and I wanna ask you the question, what do you want me to do for you? This is a personal conversation. Bartimaeus is not a project to be completed. Are you honest with your need today? Is there a need in your life that maybe you've never actually allowed God the access to? Bartimaeus asked for his sight back. He had spent his life since he had lost his sight begging. You better believe he didn't ask everyone passing by to heal him. This was a different request. He had asked for money. He had asked for provision. He had asked for food. But because he believed that Jesus was master and Lord, his ask changed as he came into the presence of Jesus. And instead of asking for just a temporary fix, he said, Jesus, I want you to get to the root of the problem. I want you to heal me from the inside out. Do you trust Jesus to heal you today? Do you trust Jesus with your pain? Do you trust Jesus with your trauma? Do you trust Jesus with your secrets? Because Jesus is not just here for a temporary fix or to meet your daily needs like anyone else can, but when you come into His presence, you stand before the one that can permanently change your situation. Do you trust Him today? Do you trust Him today? Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately He received His sight and He decides to follow Jesus along the road. Immediately, He doesn't just get healed, but He decides to follow. See, that's what Vuk Church is all about. 
We're all about having a moment of surrender, but then deciding, okay, now I'm gonna take step after step of surrender for the rest of my life. Today is growth track step three. You should not miss out. You were created to serve. You were created to continue to evolve into who God has called you to be. But it takes you deciding to follow. This man Bartimaeus, he leaves Jericho and he decides to follow Jesus. He will never be the same again. You know, we just read two really different stories. And you may go, what, what's the point? Okay, Don Cherie, we got it. A life in the day of Jesus. He's, he's talking to people, he's reprimanding people, he's encouraging people, he's healing people. Yeah, these are two very different stories, but they have one thing in common that maybe you missed. See, Jesus asked James and John the exact same question that he asks Bartimaeus. Verbatim, there's not one word that is different between the question that he asked those that he is the closest to, his two best friends, two disciples who had been with him for years, and the man that he just met as he is leaving town on a mission about to give his life. Jesus comes with the same question of service to both of these men. What does He say? He says, what do you want me to do for you? The question is the same, but the responses couldn't be more different. As Bartimaeus asks, asks in faith, James and John, they're asking with a desire for fame. Bartimaeus asks and then wants to follow Jesus. James and John, they're looking for a place to just sit and be honored. See, one wanted sight, the others, they just wanted to be seen. Bartimaeus asks for restoration. The brothers, two of Jesus's closest friends, they just want elevation. But Bartimaeus displays the heart of a true disciple because they both asked him teach, they both called him teacher, but only one had a legitimate request. Restoration, Jesus restore me. Restoration may seem like a shallow, easy request unless you're someone who has lost something that is dear to you. Because if you've ever lost something that is dear to you, you know that there's nothing like having that which you've lost restored. Having that that you once held given back to you. Bartimaeus asks Jesus, would you restore my sight? And Mark is trying to show us the irony that Jesus is serving both of these men asking the same exact question. But blind Bartimaeus, the man who just met Jesus, looks more like a follower of Jesus than his own disciples because of the motivation of the heart. Bartimaeus doesn't have eyesight, but because of his faith, he has insight. 
And friends, that's what you and I, that we desire more than anything. Anybody can look through the eyes of the natural and try to gather the accolades that the world says will make you feel like you've accomplished something. But no, we need something deeper. We need insight to know where the broken places in my life that actually need healing, where the spots in my heart that need the touch of a Savior. Change me, not my position. Change me. I wanna ask you today, what is your response when Jesus asks you the same question He asked them? What do you want me to do for you? Is it about your position or is it about your person? Is it about what's going on externally and where you wanna go and what you wanna do and what you wanna accomplish? Or is the cry of your heart, God, Change me, change me, restore me, heal me from the inside out. God, I don't wanna be elevated, I wanna be restored by the power of your Spirit. No, your answer reveals a lot. Your answer to Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it reveals a lot. And friends, you don't have to go home and think about it really long. Just take inventory of your latest prayers. Just take an inventory of what you've been asking God for. God, I really want this. God, I really want that. Or is it, Lord, search me. Search my heart and change me from the inside out. Or is ambition taking over? And all you wanna do is get ahead when Jesus is going, no, the path to follow me, it starts from within. Is it about a position or is it about your person? You know, James and John, they could have asked for anything. When Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? They could have said, Jesus, what you just described to us about you being mocked and beaten and being murdered in front of us, we're afraid. How do we handle this? How do we deal with this? They could have said, Jesus, we have an anger problem. Can, can you heal us from this? Jesus, we're apprehensive about the future. Jesus, we feel this competitive edge with our brothers. Why do we feel this way? God, we don't wanna compete. I wanna support, I wanna encourage. Lord, can, can you change me? Can you change me? They could have asked for anything, but position was what they were focused on. When you walk into church, are you more concerned with what people think about you or what Jesus wants to change within you? When, when you're serving, are you serving so that your life can be changed from the inside out? Or are you serving so that others can see you serve? And so that you can feel better about yourself because of what you've done. Where does your ambition lie in this thing called discipleship? Because our ambition has to die day after day at the cross of Jesus. If we wanna truly be like Him. Is it a position or a person? Is your prayer, Lord, I wanna be there? Or is it, Lord, I wanna be who you've called me to be? Change me. I think about my mom a lot when I think about position or change your person because I grew up with my mom answering almost every altar call. She's the pastor, but we were at the altar every Sunday. 
She set an example for me and empowered me to know that for the rest of my life, I will be responding to the call of change from the presence of God. That at any given moment, it's not about maintaining a position, but it's about Jesus, I wanna be like you. If there's anything in my life that needs to be restored, if my first love has been lost, restore. If my purity has been lost, restore it. If my integrity has been lost, restore it. If my spirit of excellence has been lost, Lord, restore it. God, only You can do it. Change my person. I don't want a change of position. Some people are obsessed with wanting a change. In the eyes of the natural, the first thing we think is a change of location, a change of position. But really what God wants to do is He wants to change you. God, give me understanding. We read about a conversation between who is known as the wisest man in the world and God Himself. God literally kind of says the same thing that Jesus says to James and John and blind Bartimaeus. God comes to Solomon in a dream and says, ask and I'll give it. Ask, can you imagine hearing the voice of God tell you that? And Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked, Lord, we're a small nation. We need reinforcements. Can you give us, you know, angelic provision and protection? He could have asked, Lord, we need more money so that our nation can prosper and so that those who are destitute, so they can have what they need. Instead, he asked God, not for a position, but for His person said, God, I need understanding so that I can judge your people. I need discernment. And 1 Kings 4.29 tells us that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight as a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. God was honored by his request. And because Solomon was more committed to God changing him than changing his position, God said, not only will I change you, but I'll give you everything else that you need. I'll provide for everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Come on, if you believe it today. There should be a pushback anytime you sense that the change you need is a position or a title. There should be a pushback. Why do we come to a place in our lives following Jesus where all of a sudden we think that the change isn't about us anymore, but more about just pushing ourselves forward? How do we in following Jesus come to a place where we don't realize that we are going to be changed and restored for the rest of our life? And the whole point of us being on earth right here is so that we can be molded by the hands of God. Following Jesus, this is not some seniority contest. Jesus is looking at Bartimaeus, asking him the same thing that he was asking his closest friends. His closest friends are saying, God, we've been around, we deserve a seat. We've been here, we wanna ride with you. But Jesus is saying, you've missed it. You need understanding, but I'm not gonna give up on you because this journey is not over. 
You see, James and John, they open up this conversation by telling Jesus, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. But after they witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, after they continue to trust Jesus and they don't abandon ship or the pathway, but they continue to surrender their life to Him, that request, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask, it flips into, Lord, I wanna do whatever you ask. I wanna do whatever you ask. There's a lot of people that have the wrong view of Christianity. They think Christianity is about Jesus. I want you to do whatever I ask. They've got a James and John mentality. Jesus, this is what I want. Can you make it happen? But this is not what the life of a Christ follower looks like. The life of a Christ follower flips that statement on its head. And instead of Jesus, I want you to do whatever I ask. It's Jesus, I wanna do whatever you ask. Send me to the nations. Call me to serve my city. Let me serve in the local church. Let me love my family. Let me be faithful in my marriage. Let me walk with integrity. Let me be a light in the night. And James and John, they get it. 80 years later, this is the declaration that John makes. First John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Jesus didn't give up on James and John. He didn't give up on Bartimaeus. He has not given up on me yet, praise God. And I wanna tell you today, He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on you. You may have been saying in your heart over the last few months, I need a change. I need to progress. I need a new position. But I wanna challenge you through the words of Jesus. Not so with you. Don't seek a position. Seek, seek the restoration of your life through the presence of Jesus. Decide to be a servant, just like Jesus gave His life as a ransom for many. That's when life begins all over this room, and for all those who are watching online. I really believe that there are people that you've listened to this message and maybe it's been intriguing because you don't know anything about the story of Jesus. Or maybe today, as you're examining your heart, you realize that you know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know Him. I wanna give you the opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. Right where you sit at your house, right as you listen to this podcast. I wanna give you the opportunity to surrender your life and to model your life after His life, to make Him the Lord of your life and to begin new. If that's you, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, today I choose to throw my life into Your hands. I'm celebrating Your rescue. I believe You died for me. You rose again. Forgive me of my sins. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for every single person who made that decision? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe consider rating the podcast and share it with a friend. 
It really makes all the difference. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.